You're listening to the weekly podcast from Solid Ground Church. We hope that this is uplifting and encourages you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus. If we can be of any help at all, please visit us on the web at solidground.church. Now let's get to this week's message. Let me really quickly just pull the room. Does anyone else, when that, when that bumper plays and it cuts off right there, is anybody else in the room just being like, ha, 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 ha? Anybody? <laughs> Anybody else? Okay. Thank you. It would so weird if, I, if I always, like shook your heads and said no. Um, hey, listen. Good morning, guys. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the 8 o'clock service. Uh, if we haven't met, my name is Bert. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, I'm excited. We're continuing this series called uh, Father of Faith, The Life and Legacy of Abraham. Now, before we get going too far, I want to just get us all on the same page here. And I thought, I thought I'd share... Uh, a memory of times gone by uh, in, in my own life. One of my earliest memories of uh, just in my childhood, in life in general, uh, happened when I was a kid. Like, I couldn't have been more than three. I mean, you ever one of those memories like you can remember your parents, and because they're so huge, you know, you must have been really young. One of those deals. Like, so I, maybe I can picture my mom, and I probably came up to about here on her, so I know I was a little guy. And in our house, um, one of the biggest times of the year for anybody in our house was your birthday. Like, birthday was just the be-all, end-all in the Miller family. That's like, you look forward to it all year because it, on your birthday, man, it, like, the whole family made a big celebration about it. And so, you know, I remember, like, at this age, my mom being like, listen, your birthday's coming up really soon. And so you should be really excited because we're going to have cake and we're going to have presents. And that's, like, all that you need as a kid. Like, that's everything about life. Like, all of your needs care- cared for in one day. It's great. So, like, so, you know, I remember like every morning I would get up really early and you know, my dad would be gone at work and my mom would be doing something in the kitchen. I think that's normally when she would do dishes or something because I just had this memory of her always being at the kitchen counter at this time in the morning, like cutting something or washing something. And so I remember walking up and sort of sneaking in and being like, is it, is it my birthday yet? And, and, and she would go, no, not yet. All right. And so you know, going forward, like the next thing, like, is, is, is it my birthday? And, and she would go, no, buddy, no, it's not. Sorry. But this one day, this one day, I've been waiting, and there's the anticipation, and I go in, and I walk up to the counter, and she's not there. And I'm like, huh. And I turn around, and there's my mom. She's like, it's your birthday! She's like, there's presents, and there's going to be cake! And I'm just like, oh! Like, just overwhelmed with joy. I think I, like, collapsed on the floor. Or what? I'm not quite sure, but one of the things were, okay, I've been waiting and waiting and waiting with anticipation of the promise of my birthday. I've been waiting for this day. I've been waiting for, like, the, the celebration and, and the joy that was laid before me, praise the Lord, with the presents and the Mario cake. And I'm just, oh, I love it, right? Now, why did I bring that up? Because my birthday's in October, in case you're curious, if you want to know. That's not why. That's not why. That's not why. That's not why. Because you, you get that, like, feeling of anticipation, right? Have you had that moment? If it's not your birthday, maybe it's you've got a vacation that you've been looking forward to for, like, ever. Or, you know, like, uh, parents or now grandparents, the birth of your, like, your grandbaby, and you've been waiting for that, right? It's just a, that sense of, like, I cannot wait for this day to arrive. Maybe it's your wedding day. Maybe it was graduation day. And, like, if you're young, you're like, I can't wait to graduate, right? But just, like, it's this day that you've been waiting for, and it just feels like it's been forever. And there's this anticipation. There's, like, this churning in your gut. There's, like, when will it arrive? And that's the mood of the story that we're going to read today. As we talk about this point in the life of Abraham, he's been waiting for this day for about 24 years. 
When God first shows up with, with Abram, who will become Abraham, he tells him, listen, even though you're an old man, even though you don't have any kids, I'm going to give you descendants, and I'm going to give you all this land, and, and I'm going to give the land to your descendants as well. And Abram goes, awesome, and nothing happens. And time goes on and on on and we saw last week how he he and his wife Sarai uh, they decide okay listen we'll take matters into our own hands maybe we misunderstood the promise of God so so Sarai gets Abram to sleep with her her slave and and there's a boy named Ishmael who's born there and and God goes that's not right that's not the promise and so okay now he's still just waiting more and more and more he's got this limited scope God said I'm going to give you descendants but that's it he's just been waiting forever it's been 24 years but now now it's time for the promise to come to light. Now it's time for the fulfillment. And so, in Genesis chapter 17, starting in verse 1, here's how our story goes today. And we're going to read it together. If you have a Bible, open it up. If not, we'll put it on the screen here. Okay, so, when Abram was 99 years old. So, again, he was 75 when God first appeared to him. Now he's 99. When he's 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be Blameless. Now, we've talked about this before, how, okay, when God first shows up to save Abram, remember it says that, like, Abram believed God, and God credited it to him as righteousness? Okay, well, now this is something else. So now he's been walking in God with a relationship for a while, and he goes, all right, now it's time for you to respond in a certain way. So it continues. Says, so, then I will make my covenant between me and you, and will greatly increase your numbers. And so, what do you do with that? Abram fell face down. And God says, so God likes to say, I'm going to increase your numbers. I'm going to bless you. God's appeared to him. He's, he's seeing the glory of God. And, and I mean, all that can happen is just worship. So he falls down and God says to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. Okay, I'm going to spell it out 100%. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. We're going to get to the significance of that in just a second here. Um, so just understand, I, I want to, he says, okay, uh, we're, we're going to jump in one second, okay, and because there are a few, no, keep it there, it's okay, Mike, um, because there are more than one idea present in this text to sort of streamline and help us get them all, we're going to jump around a little bit, but we will get to all of it, so, all right, he says, I'll make you uh, very fruitful, I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you, so jump on down to verse 15, here's what it says, so God renames him from Abram to Abraham, and said, so God also said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. So something's happening here. God is speaking, and he's telling him, right, listen, I'm redefining you now. And, and we've talked about this at length, again, over and over again throughout the year. The idea that, like, throughout the scriptures, one of the things that you find when God redeems people is on more than one occasion, he changes their name. Because a name is not just, in biblical thought, a name is not just a sound that you make to address someone. A name encapsulates a person's identity. Right, and so we, we, we've seen this play out with, with Abram. So, uh, but you, you go forward to the, the New Testament, right? You can see all right, how when Jesus calls Peter, he changes his name from Simon to Peter. Peter means rock, it means reliable. And so, so like, this is how you're to be defined. You can see how Saul turns to Paul. I mean, just, I don't, you find this idea like God changing the person's name because the name is significant of who they are. So when it comes to Abram, here's what Abram means Abram means exalted father. But now that the promise of God has come in, he changed his name to Abraham, which means father of many. So before Abram, like the idea was, okay, he was to be respected. He was, he was a great dad, even though his name was kind of ironic since he didn't have any kids then. But now what God says is, all right, listen, you're going to be a father of many. So he changes his name 
to Abraham. But he doesn't stop there. He also changes the name of his wife, Sarah. So the, the name Sarai, what this means here is princess. And she, like, she's royal. She's, she's, she has a dignity about her. And so what does Sarah mean? Well, Sarah also means princess um, because. But there's something neat happening here, okay? So in the I mean, like, it's the, the, the word is exactly the same. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. The pronunciation completely changes because what happens is this. In, in Hebrew, you, you've got the name of God. Um, it's called the Tetragrammaton, all right? And what God does here when he changes Sarah's name is he takes part of his name and puts it on the end of hers. So like, like he adds a letter there, and so it becomes from Sarai to Sarah. And the idea is that he's identifying her with himself. So we could say it this way, that basically what he's saying is, all right, before she was a princess, but now, now she's, she's my princess. Now she's mine, like, okay, like she was her own thing, she was doing her own thing, but now, okay, listen, like the, the name is exactly the same, but the context for it is completely different because God redefines who she is. And I think this begs a question here, and if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down and just chew on it this week. Here's the question, okay? Who does God say that you are? I mean, who does God say that you are? Like, when we talk about this idea of being a Christian, we talk about this idea of being a Christ follower, as you evaluate your life, you've been told that you are many different things. And some of us, we, we place our identity in all the wrong things, or we take the right things and we, uh, we emphasize them incorrectly, right? So for some of us, like, you know, like being a parent is a blessed, it's a, it's a blessing from God. But for some of us, all of our identity is being an apparent. Okay, so who does God say them? Well, I'm a parent. Well, yes, that's part of you. But that's not all of you, okay? Maybe, like, your, your identity is, like, you're really into the eagles, okay? Like, that's your thing, okay? I, I know my crowd, all right? So, like, like you're, all about, you're all about the eagles. Well, okay, that, that's fine, you know, as long as it's not the Patriots. We're good, but, like, but, welcome to Telegram. But, um, but that's not all of you. And many of us, like, what we do is we, we place our identity in all these things, and we chase after all these things, but we never quite understand who God actually says that we are. And because we don't understand that, we're out of whack and we seek fulfillment in all the wrong places because we think if we can just sort of carve out this identity, you know, like my identity is success, my identity is power, my identity is recognition, my identity is prestige or or what have you, like that will satisfy me and it never does. And this idea of name being changed, I mean, it still happens throughout the world. Like you could talk to missionaries in India when they do mass baptism services. One of the customary rituals is they actually change the people's names. And you might go, well, like, should I change my name? Probably not in our culture, but believe it or not, you actually have had your name changed. Because you see now, you got like, if you're in Christ, if you are a Jesus follower, you have a brand new name, whether you realize it or not. And it's this name right here, Christian. Christian. And this is a name that unfortunately throughout the, 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 <laughs> the last couple thousand years has, has received a negative connotation from so many because the wrong people have adopted it on themselves and they haven't represented it well. This name is an incredible name. Like I, I know for us, like in our culture, are you a Christian? Uh, yeah, and kind of brace yourself for oh, to be called like a hypocrite or judgmental or whatever. But, but understand the power here, what, what this is. So, the name Christian, what it means literally is belonging to Christ. Here's where it came from. It came from, uh, from uh, ancient Antioch. And you can read about this in the book of Acts. So in ancient Antioch, one, one of the things about the people of Antioch was they were known for coming up with nicknames for people, and usually not for the better. 
So like, like they, would, they, would, they, would just, they would come up with ways to rag on people. And so when you had this group of ancient, they, at the time they were called followers of the way. They were Jesus followers. They start like growing in numbers in Antioch. And so people come up with a slam. They go, oh man, they're Christians. And what they're saying is, oh, these people say they belong to Christ. They belong to this Jesus who's dead. But here's the crazy thing. The, the first believers back in Antioch, they took that and they went, yeah. Like, that's perfect. That, that absolutely sums us up. Like, like, you guys have come up with this name for us as a basic, like, like, like a jab. But man, if ever there was a name that perfectly encapsulates what we are, it's this. Like, belonging to Christ, that's absolutely what I am. Because, because my life is no longer mine. I'm, I've been hidden with Christ. I've been, like, the old me died. It's why in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Paul says this. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. Who you were is gone. You are a new creation. And Christ is absolutely who you are. And think about like with the idea of of Sarai to Sarah. I mean, she's still technically princess, but it's different now. Isn't it? Like before, okay, she, she was doing her own thing, but now her entire relationship with God has changed. It's the same for you. Like, you know, okay, so, you know, you, you were Brandy before, and you're Brandy still, but you're a different Brandy, or, or you, you were Matt before, but you're Matt still, but you're a different Matt now. Like, like, who you were isn't who you are anymore, because with this banner of Christian, you belong to Christ. You are a new person. God has redefined you in this way, and what a great place of satisfaction that is. So, here's what God says about Sarah uh, in Genesis 17. He says, I will bless her. And will surely give you a son by her. (laughs) And I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Remember, Sarah, well past childbearing years. But God promised, I'm going to give you a son through her. And so here's Abraham's response now. It says, Abraham, again, fell face down. (laughs) And he laughed. And we don't know if, if it's a, like a laugh of disbelief. We don't know if it's a laugh of joy. Certainly, if you were to go forward to the next chapter when, when Sarah receives the same news, it's a laugh of disbelief. But for whatever reason, we just find out that like he, he hears this and he's just like, <laughs> I mean, oh, what? Okay, and so he says, will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And this question... Um, Let's ask it this way. God, will you really do the impossible? I mean, really, like, will, you, will you really do, could it really be that simple? And, and we ask this all the time. This idea of, could it really be that good? Could it really be that simple? Could it really be that pure? So here's Abram, or now Abraham, and he's going like, God, will, will you really bless me in that way? And how many people, they've already assumed that God would never do something like that for them. Not necessarily with a child, but think about it. We ask this question, I'm like, like, will I really be given something? Will, will I really be forgiven? Will I, will I really experience a relationship with God? Is, are there really no strings attached? Will he really wipe the slate clean? Will he really save me? Will he really change me? You know, um, I see this play out all the time. And usually people run from God because they inherently, internally believe that the answer is no. Years ago, uh, when our church was first starting out, um, 
I, I took a bunch of side jobs to sort of stay afloat. We weren't in a place where uh, the ministry could pay me. And so what I did was to, you know, eat um, was I took different jobs. And one of them was I would host team trivia in like three different bars, three different nights of the week. And I can't tell you how many people I met and I, who I would invite to the, the little church thing that we were doing, and, and they would say, oh, that's not for me, man. That's not for me. And, and I would get to know regulars over and over again, like men and women who basically their custom in life was they would, they would be out of like, the house in a bar three or four nights a week drinking their sorrows away. They didn't want to go home. They didn't want to go back to whatever it was. They were running from something at all times because it was easier for them to numb themselves and watch a sports game than deal with what was going on in here. Like the same people who believed that, that, that this God stuff wasn't for them, basically what they were saying was, okay, it's not for, like, I, 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 they had such shame about their lives that basically, okay, there's no way I could actually be forgiven. Like, if you really knew me, if you really understood, there's no way that could actually apply to me. So many people, like, they're going through life, and they're miserable, and they're going through life, and they're, and they're numbing themselves because they've never found the satisfaction of Christ. And the only version of Christ that they've ever been presented is one who will reject them, who isn't real. And it's this impossible promise. Like, like, you're telling me that God actually loves me. You're telling me that God actually wants me as I am, not as I should be. Like, like God actually gives a rip about me. And that seems impossible. And to be fair, this idea of like, like a perfect, holy God forgiving, that is impossible for anyone but him. Like, okay, when it comes to your sin being washed away, that's absolutely impossible for anybody but the Lord. This idea of your past being gone and you being a new creation, that is impossible. Like, who could redeem the soul from death to life? Who could change us into new people? The only one who can do that is the God who brings life from nothing. It is impossible, but not for God. And so we find this, okay, like, is it really that simple? Could I really have that? And yet, this is exactly what Jesus promises in John 5, 24. He says, very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. That simple? Well, like, aren't I supposed to, like, you know, go through all these rituals? Aren't I supposed to be dedicated enough? And that's the word, right? Enough, right? Like, should I do this enough? Or should I do this more? And Jesus goes, look, you want to know how you're saved? Believe done that simple and how many of us are like like we look at god and we go that's no, that's too easy like are you really that good are you like can you really bless me in that way and we find the same like spirit happening in, in the idea of abraham where god's or where abraham, abraham is looking at god he's looking at this impossible promise of god he's going really I'm hoping, but because Abraham has Ishmael by Hagar, his, his heart still goes out to the boy. And so listen to what it is here. Like, we're about to find out this idea, by the way, that God really is that good, and God is able to bless more than we can even ask. And so look at this, Genesis 17, 18. And Abraham said to God, well, okay, I mean, it's great that you want to do that, but if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. <laughs> and God said, yeah, or indeed, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son. Now, okay, the idea being, okay, like Abram, I, I know that you want to sort of water down the power there, right? Because listen, God, you don't have to do that. You don't have to bless me like that. I've already got a son. I've already got Ishmael. Just bless him. And God goes, well, to be clear, I'll bless Ishmael. But my covenant's not with him. I'm going to do 
both. He's going to bless more than Abraham could have asked for. And so he says, she's gonna, Sarah's going to bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. And fun fact for you. Remember how earlier Abraham laughed when God told him that Sarah was going to give him a son? Remember that? Okay. The name Isaac, it's not even a play on words. It literally means laughter. So here's, so, so here's God saying to Abraham, he's going, all right, listen. He goes, yeah, by the way, remember when you did that thing? I want you to remember that for the rest of this boy's life. When you, when, when you, when you were struggling, if, when you couldn't believe, when, when, when you were going like, is it really that simple? Am I, are you really that good? He goes, come back to that name. Remember this moment. I'm the God who pr- provides laughter. I'm the God who provides joy. I'm the God who brings offspring where there were none. But he continues, and as for Ishmael, as for Ishmael, I will establish, I'm sorry, I've heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father, he continues, of 12 rulers, and I will make a gr- him into a great nation. But to clarify, Abraham, my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear you by this time next year. It's been 24 years, and now God says, listen, by this time next year, you're going to have a son. And when he had finished speaking with him, Abraham, or with Abraham, God went up from him. Now, to understand what Abraham does as a response to this, we've got to go back. I told you we were going to skip forward. Now we're going to go back to verse 10. So we've seen a couple things in this text. We've seen, number one, uh, that God redefines us, right? We find our identity in Christ. Number two, we've seen that God gives Abraham an impossible promise. He's done the same for us. He's given us forgiveness, and he's given us salvation in Christ. But now I want us to understand what happens here. Basically what God tells Abraham, he goes, listen, this is my covenant with you, but there's an outward sign that you're going to make. It's not what makes Abraham right with God. Paul would write about this at length in the book of Romans. We've seen this earlier in the Abraham stories that the reason that Abraham is made right with God is because God declared him righteous, right? But here's Abraham's response. God basically tells him, this is what you should do in response to the covenant I'm making with you. So he says this. This is in verse 10. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you. The covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Let's pause. Okay, go back. All right. Awkward. Now, now, to clarify, different covenant. This is not New Testament Christianity. This is Old Testament Judaism. So do not expect a weird, awkward altar call where we try and make this happen here. Nobody's coming forward on that. I get it. All right. So look, I'm so glad you laughed. It would have been really terrible in here if you hadn't. Um, so understand something. Like, like why this? Okay. Remember how in the previous weeks we talked about the idea, okay, in that world, Everything about a person's life is descendants, offspring. Right? Like if you have any kind of legacy, if your life matters at all to these people, the way that that is shown is by the offspring and descendants that you have. Remember that? We talked about that? Okay. So if you've got a group of people who are supposed to be set apart to God, and I'm, I'm going to try and be as least graphic as I can. If you've got a group of people who have been set apart to God, who are to be a beacon to the rest of the world, how do you mark them in such a way that basically says the only reason they're here is because God has been faithful? Well, what you would do if you were a group who were all about offspring is you would mark a certain organ. Got it? Okay, moving on. The idea is, the idea is this. Okay, you've got this outward sign of something that God has done internally. And so, he, God, again, he reiterates it. He says it this way. He says, you are to undergo circumcision. And it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. 
Now, now uh, jump on down to verse 23. Because here's, here's, what, here's what Abraham does. So God is, now that God has redefined him, now that he's promised him a son, here's Abraham's response now, okay? So on that very day, after God has told him this, Abraham took his son Ishmael, and all those born in his household or bought with his money, every male in his household, and circumcised them as God told them. <laughs> so many groans. All right, look. Um, I want, us to, I want us to pay attention to something. Mike, can we bring it back for just one more second? Okay. I want us to pay attention to this phrase right here. On that very day. On that very day. There's an immediacy to his response. It's not a, oh, this is going to cost me something, so I'll do it when I feel ready. I'll do it when I get around to it. It's basically God has promised him this stuff, and, and he said, here's what I'm requiring of you externally. So on that very day, he responds with a very, very painful thing. Now, here's why I bring this up. Because for many of us, when it comes to how we respond to God, we put it off and we keep it internal. So what many of us do is this. We go, we go all right, listen, you know, like, Jesus, I want to follow you. Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. And yet, for whatever reason, we, we, we decide that doesn't mean that we should do anything externally. And it's not that ever doing anything would make us right with God, but there is an external response. And, and, and we see this played out in the New Testament, in the book of Colossians. And we'll, we'll jump forward here. Okay, so look. Colossians 2.11. So circumcision was the external sign of the old covenant. There is an external sign of the new one. It's called baptism. So he says this, In him, talking about Christ, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh and was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. I mean, okay, listen, like just as there was this sign, this marking that happened in the old covenant, now God has marked your heart. Now God has changed you. He set you apart internally through Christ. But, he, but here's how this plays out externally. It says, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith uh, in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Here's the idea, okay? God saves freely, but your response to that externally is to be baptized. 100%. Like, like as circumcision was this outward sign for the old covenant, baptism is the external sign for the new one. And I just want to challenge some of you here because some of you, you, you said, right, listen, I'm going I'm to follow Jesus. And since you've been in this church, you've made that decision. And yet you've never been baptized. And you keep putting it off. And that's wrong. That's wrong. Listen, on the same, like it talks about with Abraham, like on the same day, he didn't wait. It'd be like this, okay? Hey, how many of you guys saw last weekend the, the Powerball? Remember that? It was up to $768 million last weekend. Somebody won it. Now imagine you had that winning ticket. Would you hold it in your hand and be like, I want to get around to it. I'm not feeling it right now, but, you know, maybe later I'll take it. No, baby, you're in there. Like, if you, if you can even sleep that night, you're there at, at wherever you've got to go the next day. Okay, why is it when it comes to salvation, when it comes to matters of your soul, you put things off? No, 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 no. Do you understand how much more valuable your soul is? Do you understand how much more valuable your relationship with God is than a simple amount of money? On that very day, Abraham decides, okay, I'm going to walk in obedience. I'm going to carry this out. In the same way, when it comes to New Testament Christians, do you understand that your external sign, not what makes you right with God, but your response and obedience to God's making you right with him is to be baptized. 
100%. Look, you, you find this out like, throughout the entire scriptures. When, when Peter first preaches the gospel, the first time ever, at the very first church service, and people hear about how Jesus died for their sin and rose from the dead, and they go, like, what do we do with that? What do we do with that knowledge? Here's what Peter says in Acts 2.38. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent and be baptized. Who? Everyone. If you're a Christian, if you would say, I want to be a Jesus follower, your external sign is you should 100% step out and be baptized. Again, look, you could, you could jump forward in Acts. You find Philip talking with this guy from Ethiopia who believes in Jesus. You know what this guy's response is? Acts 8, uh, 36. It says, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? In other words, I'm not going to wait to do the right thing. Now, here's the deal, Solid Ground. We would love to baptize you, and it's free. The only thing stopping you is you. Our next baptism service, if you're curious, is going to be Easter Sunday. We're baptizing people on Easter. If you want to be baptized, before you leave, grab a Connect card, check the I want to be baptized thing. We'll follow up. We'll get you scheduled. It is that simple. Stop waiting to do the right thing. In the same way we see Abraham saying, listen, on the very day when God commands it, he does it. Let's not hesitate and come up with all these reasons why we should be disobedient. The command is clear. You believe, then get baptized. You've been saved, then get baptized. It's the external sign. Why wait? You might go, well, uh, uh, what if people look at me different? Yeah. That's the point. I have a friend who's a missionary, and I'll close with this. I have a friend who's a missionary to uh, Native American reservations. And there was a guy who had heard the gospel for the first time in his life. His name was Frankie. And Frankie went to my friend who's a missionary. He said, you know, I, I want to get baptized. And so my friend said, okay, but you understand, like, um, basically what you're saying is you're ditching your entire old way of life and being identified with Christ. And Frankie said, yeah, yeah, I, I get it. I'm in. My friend said, okay, well, listen, you might want to let your, your family know about that because, you know, like, listen, with, with that background, that heritage, like all the spiritualism and religion, it's so tied to culture that this idea of doing it, that's a really big deal. And so Frankie says, okay, I'm going to do it. He goes and he tells his family, guys, listen, I, I believe Jesus died for my sin. I believe he rose from the dead. I want to be baptized. This is the date where I'm getting baptized. This is where I'm being baptized. Down, down in this little creek. I would love it if you could come. So the day of the baptism comes, and nobody shows up. Nobody. And just as Frankie's about to be baptized, he looks up, and on the hill there, there's one guy. And it's the chief of his tribe. And the chief watches him as he gets baptized, and then leaves. So he goes home. And when he gets home, there's a group of people waiting for him there. And the chief takes his knife, holds it up to Frankie's neck and says, don't ever come back here again. Because what you've done is you've severed your relationship with our past. Yeah, there's a cost to following Jesus. I, I think for most of us, the most that we will endure is some social awkwardness. Maybe a, a side comment from a friend or relative. But is your relationship with God and is your obedience to the Lord worth that? Yes, there is 
a cost, but the salvation that has been given to you for free is worth more than any relationship anyone could ever have for you. So do the right thing. You've been called to it. Take the step. Echo the faith of Abraham. So let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you because you're good. We thank you because you have given every single one of us a new identity in Christ. You took the penalty for our sin. You died in our place. Lord, you rose from the dead to make us new, to make us Christians. Lord, we thank you because you've given us an impossible promise, the promise of passing from death to life, of being forgiven, cleansed, and changed. And Lord, we thank you because you've given us the opportunity to respond to it, to respond to your goodness, to show others that we have received this free gift. So Lord, I pray for my brothers and my sisters now, the ones who are afraid, the ones who are worried about what the family members or friends will say. Lord, I pray for the ones who, who are so consumed by the temporary and the, the awkwardness that they would miss the obedience that you have for them. Give them boldness. Give them courage. Give them strength. Give them love for you so that their love for you would overwhelm any fear that they have of the world. We love you and we praise you and we do it all in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Bless you guys. We'll see you next week.